You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. For 400 years, for 400 years, no one has heard a word from the Lord. Thousands of priests make up 24 divisions of the priesthood, and none have heard a word from the Lord. Countless prophets and prophetesses spend days and nights in prayer and fasting, and none has heard a word from the Lord. And God promised to speak. In the, in the Scriptures, God makes promises that they know remain unfilled at this moment. And if there's anything a person of Israel knows, it is that God, when He makes a promise, He keeps it. They do not have to look any further than the great Exodus story where God delivered His people from the Egyptian empire. And now they're living under the heavy hand of Rome. and They cannot help but wonder, when will God respond and deliver us from the oppressor and reestablish His kingdom through the royal bloodline of King David? When will God send them a new king? They just don't know. But they did know the sign. See, Luke begins his gospel with a priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. They are devoutly religious. They're going about their everyday life. They're childless in a culture that mocks such a thing, and they are well past childbearing age. And today is special, because today is Zechariah's turn to come to Jerusalem and perform the temple liturgy as a priest of one of the 24 divisions of the priesthood. It was his turn to serve God's people and, and this is a special day. Actually, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, see, because they, they're casting of lots, sort of like drawing straws. Zechariah was the one chosen to go into the sanctuary of the Lord, into the holiest of holies, and offer incense to God on behalf of God's people. Incense was a symbol for prayer, and to offer this incense was to participate in a ritual of mediating the prayers of God's people to God. And as the incense would rise up to the top of the temple to symbolize how the prayers of the people rise up as a sweet aroma to the Lord, so should their hopes. But God has not fulfilled His promise. On this extraordinary day, God shows up and speaks His first word of 400 years, it seems, and turns what was a routine day into a life-changing, life-altering event that would change not only the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but the lives of all of God's people. By the grace of God, Zechariah was chosen to proclaim that the dawn of a new day had come and the light of God's kingdom is shining through. But the problem is, see, Zechariah has a response that sounds less like a hero of the faith and more like us. I mean, God says, hey, you're going to have a child, and Zechariah is well aware of the biology behind this, and he asks the question that we often think to ourselves. He, he asks, can this be true? Can God do the impossible? And that's his response. Can God really do the impossible? I mean, how can I know this to be true? Zechariah is wondering if it's possible that God can do the impossible. Zechariah needs a sign, something to help him believe. And he's given one just in the form of discipline. He can't speak. 
We can almost see the angel put his hands on the lips and frustrate on his lips in frustration to reach out and touch Zechariah's lips just to make him unable to speak. But see, Luke would have us know that this story is about more than Zechariah and Elizabeth's joy to finally have a son. It's about God keeping his promises that he made long ago. It's about God being able to do the impossible. See, to them, a child would be born and his name would be John, but we know John would grow up a fiery and devout worshiper and preacher with a ministry headquartered in the wilderness as the prophets would prophesy long ago would come and tell everyone that they needed to get right because the Messiah was coming. And what we see in this story is that even in the midst of the fears and the hopes and the needs of God's people, of His ordinary people, God fulfills His promises. That their needs and their hopes and their fears are not lost on God because even in the much larger story that He is accomplishing in this narrative, they are a part of that story. He loves with a lavish, self-giving love that invites them in to His life and into what He's doing even in the larger concerns of God's purposes to redeem the world, Zechariah and Elizabeth play a part. They're not lost on him. And neither are you. And there's an invitation to come inside and to discover God's way of peace. What the Hebrews would have known as shalom. What we would have to define as well-being and wholeness. See, peace is not the absence of chaos. Peace is wholeness and well-being in its midst. And the problem is, the problem is the people of Israel had forgotten about God's peace and had bought into a vision of the world that can see, that convinced them that God was no longer open to new possibilities. They, they, they would have never said such a thing. If you'd have asked them, they would have never said, no, 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 God can, God can do the impossible. But, but the problem in this story and the problem with the silence is they bought into this idea that God can't do the impossible, that it's just too dark, that it's just too chaotic, that it's just too wrong. God can't do the impossible. I've lived, I've lived a long life, some would have said. But they would have never said it, see. But their actions would say it. They were whispering it with their lives. And they all responded like Zechariah, singing the same refrain from the same old song that people have been lamenting for 400 years. Can God really do the impossible? How can we know this to be true? And the thing is, is I can't blame them. I don't think you can blame them. I mean, something was wrong in their world, man. I mean, Herod the Great was not so great. He wasn't the king that God had promised. That was clear. Wicked foreigners have come far, far away with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands. Darkness and death were swallowing up their land and people were suffering. I can't blame them. God's people like Zechariah and Elizabeth had forgotten about the possibility of peace. And when you forget about peace, it's because you have forgotten God's promises. And when you forget about God's promises, you're left 
with having to figure it out on your own. That is a tragedy. Some things never change, I suppose. Today, it seems that we have forgotten about God's peace. Like the devoutly religious Zechariah, we're tempted to believe the vision of the world cast for us by society in the evening news that causes us to ask, can God do the impossible? Where's the sign? See, something is still wrong with our world. People are still suffering. And they tell us, they tell us that if we are to eliminate the suffering or feel safe and secure, then it's up to us to make it happen. That's what they tell us. It's up to us to make it happen, and we should use whatever means at our disposal to do so. That's what they tell us. And, and that's not all. They tell us that if we, if we want to have a good life, we must attain some sort of upward mobility and accumulate greater stuff, greater wealth. That's what they tell us. And they tell us that we will find comfort in these things. That's what they say. But there's no comfort, there's no upward mobility, it's too hard, and the accumulation of wealth is elusive, and it doesn't feel any safer and more secure than it did the last time we took it into our hands. Check it, really, it doesn't feel any safer or more secure than the last time we tried to make it safer and secure. And we're left wondering, why? And the answer could be, because we no longer believe in the God who can do the impossible So the story goes, we tighten our grip on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in a kingdom that will, like all other kingdoms of the past, one day be a footnote in the pages of history. So the story goes that we dig in our heels with great resolve, motivated by an anxiety-producing fear that turns Christ's crown of thorns into barbed wire fences to keep us safe and secure from those we consider threats to our well-being. Eventually, Zechariah believes in the God of new possibilities, and he believes in the God of new possibilities powerful enough to scatter every overwhelming darkness and bring peace to the valleys of fear and death. Eventually, if you read the text, Zechariah believes the good news of Advent when he prophesied in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, that Christ would shine light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet to the path of See, what Zechariah doesn't do is he doesn't deny the darkness. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't deny the shadow of death. He simply says Christ will come and shine light there and reveal the path of peace despite it all. See, the lordship of the Christ child is our peace and our restoration is his promise. During the Advent season, we remember that Christ the King has come and He's coming again. And in the meantime, the light that has dawned to scatter the darkness of anxiety and the shadow of death is peeking in. But will we allow the light of Christ to guide us to the path of peace and lead us to new possibilities? That's the question you and I have to answer. What if the path of peace isn't what we think? Like, well, what if the light that guides us to the path of peace shines upon the practices of hospitality and generosity and reconciliation? What if the light of Christ reveals to us that the path of peace will come when the strangers and the marginalized are welcomed and embraced? What if the light of Christ reveals that when we are finally convinced that giving is more blessed than receiving, that is when the peace 
and the path of peace is found? What if the light of Christ reveals that when wrongs and betrayals are forgiven and enemies are loved and and persecutors are blessed, that then and only then will the path of peace be found in the world of new possibilities is open? What if we start finding out and discovering that the light of Christ reveals that we have to actually take him seriously on the Sermon on the Mount and realize it wasn't the suggestion on the Mount? That he meant what he said. See, the, the path of peace is riddled with distractions and seductions. I mean, scattered along the path of peace is the temptation to pursue other things that we believe can bring us peace, like upward mobility, greater wealth, greater security, the ability to control life or manage outcomes. Scattered along the path are fears and anxieties that come from a stark realization that we cannot control life. We cannot manage outcomes after all. Especially when we watch the evening news and read the headlines that speak of terror and violence. There's nothing in our society that tells us this is possible. And so we repeat the same old moves every single time, not realizing that we are leading our place to a sense of social insanity and away from the good news of Advent. When the grass gets greener, we go on the other side, not realizing that God has asked us to water our own grass. Because the Prince of Peace has come. So the story goes. Something is still wrong in our world. But the good news of Advent is that we have been invited into a kingdom that will never falter, flounder, or fail, and that He will guide our feet to the path of peace, but only if you and I will trust Him, because peace begins with me and you. Peace begins with my response to the evening news. And then how that response is played out with my neighbor. See, something is still wrong in our world. And wicked people come from the most unexpected places far and near with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands. And it still feels like darkness and death is swallowing our world. But the Christ child has come. See, God has proven that he keeps his promises, that he's still able to do the impossible. And we know this to be true because the Christ child grew up and he demonstrated the power of God by forgiving sin, by welcoming the strangers and the marginalized, by loving the lepers and spending time with the tax collectors and sinners, sharing table with them. That we know this is true because Christ child grew up and showed us what love looks like with skin on and that it also looks like being willing to die for your enemies rather than kill them. It looks like something completely different. He actually embodied his own Sermon on the Mount so that he could see that maybe we could see that it wasn't really a suggestion, but maybe just maybe a path to peace. And the fact of the matter is, when the seasons of life come and we feel like God is silent, we feel the weight of the chaos and the sense that our lives are out of control. And it's then that Advent reminds us that we can slow down, we can wait. Because waiting only feels like waiting. It's not really 
that God is not working. He's always working, always loving, always speaking, always moving, always redeeming. Because God never stops creating anew. And the thing is, is God's never in a hurry. God's not stressed out and freaked out over the situation. God wasn't in a hurry to reveal himself to Zechariah. God wasn't in a hurry to save us from the reign of sin and death, but God came. And he reminds us that if he's not in a hurry, you and I don't have to be either. If he's not anxious, you and I don't have to be either. And we can step with him in the path of peace. And we can move forward in life with intentionality rather than anxiety. And notice I said intentionality. See, we, we don't sit back in passivity because the path of peace is about moving forward always. Just not in a hurry. But we don't have to tarry. We can move forward. And because God is not in a hurry, and because His light is guiding us to the path of peace, we can actually take risks. Imagine that. God's people being able to take risks. See, we can take the risks. We are free to take risks to not force ourselves upon something or make things happen in our time, but we can step out. We can, we can ask the right question. We can make the phone call. We can explore the option. And we can trust that God is not in a hurry and neither should we be either. We don't have to be like the people of Israel and forget about God's peace and buy into a vision of the world that convinces us that God's no longer opening up new possibilities. We can choose to take risks. We can choose, imagine this, we can choose to love our neighbors and our enemies as we love ourselves. We can choose to forgive the unforgivable. We can choose to reach out with arms of reconciliation to those whose beliefs and points of view push us away. We can choose to be real. This is the thing that Christians need most, in my opinion, is the truth-telling aspect of our, of our community. We, we can choose to be real with the events of our country and our world. We can choose to affirm the hashtag MeToo movement, right? We can choose to affirm the MeToo movement because we know that sexual harassment and assault against any woman is a despicable sin against them and our God because they should be treated as people made in His image. And we can boldly renounce and dismantle structural and systemic sins of society that either deny or look past the death-dealing sins of sexism, or genderism, or racism, or idolatrous nationalism. And then we can take, we can humbly take the judgment and the labels that others want to heap upon us for doing so and not stoop to their level because we're following the path of peace. We can choose loyalty to Jesus over loyalty to others in positions of power. And we can live our lives with intentionality. And we don't have to live with unrelenting anxiety. We can choose to let the light of Christ guide our feet to the paths of peace and discover in that a world of new possibilities where healing and redemption is found. but not if we live in the school of denial. And then maybe, maybe the church will bear witness to the alternative world that is broken in because the Christ child has come. And the mark of that witness will be hospitality and generosity and reconciliation. And then the church can be an alternative presence in these anxious times. A presence of peace. 
and truth-telling and self-giving love. And then we can remember that when you and I aren't faithful to that, that by the grace and the mercies of God, He always is faithful. When we aren't faithful in our waiting, He is always faithful in His coming. And the light of Christ will guide us back to the path of peace. But only if we trust Him. See, the good news of Advent is that we can trust Emmanuel, who is God with us, whose ever-present kingship and eternal life He brings is our peace, our wholeness, our shalom, our well-being. The good news of Advent is that we can trust the wonderful Counselor who can teach us the way of discerning life in a world of temporary kingdoms and false allegiances, but only if we see Him as the wonderful Counselor and not the wonderful Suggester. See, the good news of Advent is that we can trust a Redeemer who joyfully declares that no one in this room is beyond redemption. No one in this room is lost on the eyes of a loving God. There is nothing you have ever done or ever can do that God cannot redeem because He's always doing the impossible. The good news of Advent is that we can trust the Eternal Father who shows us that all people are made in His image and worthy of all dignity and honor and respect. All people. And any wrong against them is a wrong against humanity and is a wrong against the image of God and is a wrong against God Himself. See, the good news of Advent is that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine and that we can trust the Prince of Peace. But here's the thing, church. He issues a summons, not a suggestion, a summons. A summons that we become instruments of peace too. A summons to trade our fear and our selfishness and our bitterness for hospitality, generosity, and reconciliation. And there and only there on that path of peace will we find our truest identity as sons and daughters of God. The good news of Advent is that God has opened up the world to new possibilities and His light will guide us there to lead us to paths of peace.